What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to Titus Talks. Today, I'm super stoked to get to talk to a guest of ours, um, a colleague who's written a bunch for bioeconomy and doing a lot of really cool stuff, um, John Younger. But before we do that, you got to remember, find everything on TitusTalksPodcast.com. We need five stars, lots of thumbs, follow. You can find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, all that good stuff. Um, tell your friends and come listen for more. So with all that out of the way, John, thanks for joining us today. It is a pleasure. It's exciting. It's a great way to start the year. Yeah. Well, we we're just talking about how stock market isn't exactly loving us right now, but but we'll move on. Uh, it's long-term we'll, love. Yeah, it's long-term, right? Just like good long-term tech. Um, <laughs> we want to make sure that you have that horizon. So, John, we really appreciate you joining, and I know that you're here because you've been engaged in writing a lot um, about some really interesting pieces. Katie, can you give us just a brief overview of kind of how we got here and how, how did you end up meeting John? How did we get here? <laughs> this is actually a great story. So John came in to the Case Foundation when I was an intern. And um, for those of our listeners that don't know, I am from the great state of Michigan and I'm kind of obsessed with Michigan. Titus always has a chuckle when I have Michigan enthusiasm. Um, and John came in with the University Science Center and they were sort of talking to the Case Foundation about strategic partnerships. And he mentioned that he um, was a professor at the University of Michigan, which I was very excited about. <laughs> and um, so I introduced myself, connected on LinkedIn. Um, the Case Foundation ended up shutting down. Um, so John and I were connected on LinkedIn for a long time. And then I had the idea um, for like an app and I wanted some physician input. And so I reached out to John on LinkedIn and we just got to chatting and I talked to him about bioeconomy XYZ and then he's been contributing some really awesome articles and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, Katie's good at collecting interesting people and spidering her way through your network as well, not just her own. No, it's good, it's great. Yeah, so we the, the way we like to kick all this off so we can get to know you is, can you tell us a story? Sure. So this is a great request. So it's um, it's it's daunting, right? So I, I got the um, I got the email from you guys last week saying start with a good story. I was like, oh god, <laughs> yeah. I have no good stories. Um, so um, so this is not really a story. I'm just gonna. This is a tone poem. Okay, we're not gonna call this an actual story. So um, there is um, and as promised, it's gonna have to do with Sherlock Holmes, but just a little bit. Um, so there is a hospital in the city of London called Saint Bart's. So St. Bart's Hospital um, was founded in the year 1,123. So St. Bart's as a hospital has seen, um, has seen the last millennium. Um, and, um, and so you can sort of imagine what healthcare was like a thousand years ago, but before oh, anything you remember from any history or literature class ever, um, St. Bart's has been there. And deep in um, the bowels of this very large and very ancient hospital, there is a very small room. It's smaller than the room that I'm sitting in now um, that is uh, painted white, wooden floor. There's one table in the corner with a chair and there's a little fireplace. And over the fireplace is a um, is a brass plaque. And the plaque says only these words. I perceive you have been traveling in Afghanistan. And those actually are the first words that Holmes ever said to Watson in the first book where they were together, which was a story called The Study in Scarlet. And Holmes was actually in that room in Arthur Conan Doyle's imagination, working on a better way to find blood at crime scenes, um, actually using the technology that ultimately is used for uh, looking for, for GI cancers in, um, in, in, uh, in cancer screenings. 
So he was, so Holmes was in that room and Watson comes in and the first words he says are, I perceive you've been traveling in Afghanistan. Um, so it's, it's a remarkable little thing, right? Um, but it's not the most remarkable thing about St. Bart's. Um, I was there about 10 years ago and, um, and it's, it's ancient, you know, part of it was destroyed, um, you know, by, by bombs in World War II. It's, it's seen a tremendous amount of stuff, but, um, around St. Bart's, um, um, right sort of on the perimeter of the hospital, there are several small churches. And um, there is um, one church that I visited when I was there. Um, and you know, maybe, you know, during services, it would maybe hold 75 people. It's very tiny. Um, but when you walk up to the front of the church, there's a small podium. And on that podium, there is a book. And on that book um, is a pen. And people that are in the hospital, that have family members in the hospital, will go to that book and they will write down a prayer request and the prayers are there and you can read whatever the people that came by most recently wrote, um, you know, asking for help um, for someone that they loved that was in that hospital. And I will never shake the feeling of standing by that book and sort of realizing that that book had been written for a thousand years and that there had been people that had been lining up in that church, you know, just desperately, hoping that something could be done um, and that that goes back as far as anyone can remember. And just the thought that there was someone that worked at the church who every time the book was filled would close it and put out a new book um, and that that had happened forever. And I think that, um, you know, thinking about people that are there, um, how bottomless that feeling is, right? Is that when you are when you have found yourself walking to the front of the church to write a prayer, um, you are not in the place you were hoping to be. And um, yeah. and I think a lot of people, um, you know, people are, have either been there or they're going there, right? Um, and right. Um, and I think that um, when I think about taking care of patients, when I think about coming up with new ways to make people healthier, one of the things I always go back and sort of center myself on is um, is that feeling of just floating over a void um, that people find themselves in um, and and that that is a timeless challenge um, to all of us to try to make things better right um, but I, I I frequently go back to that thought and it, 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 it really inspires me um, and it gives me a lot of humility for what I think all of us are trying to do yeah can you imagine getting medical care a thousand years ago I mean people don't like hospitals now Oh, yeah. So you didn't really get much care in the hospital, right? So um, you were seen there, but you didn't really stay there, right? So there was not, there weren't sort of inpatient units, right? And, uh, you know, there was, it's interesting because um, in in France in the, you know, the late 1700s, um, Antoine Lavoisier, who was the, the guy that kind of invented chemistry by discovering that oxygen was a thing, he, he sort of described that. Um, one of the things that he did once he knew that oxygen was a thing was he was doing some calculations for some of the hospitals in Paris and trying to establish whether or not it was physically impossible to survive being inside of them because the turnover of fresh air was so low um, that there wouldn't be enough air that you, the patients would actually suffocate in the hospitals when they were tightly packed. It's crazy, right? So um, the, um, but um, yes, no, there's, there's plenty of history around trying to take care of people. But, um, but if anyone makes it to St. Bart's, I highly recommend it. it is a, it's a lovely hospital. Um, it is, is endlessly old. Um, and uh, and I, I, it's, it's very inspiring to me. Plus the city of London, if you're traveling in London, that part of town is just beautiful. So, yeah. I just always forget the kind of scale of time. Like I live in a place that is built in 1904. And I think it's 
one of the oldest houses I've seen in a long time. And 1904 is just a blink of an eye compared to St. Bart's a thousand years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they were sort of like, you know, reading Shakespeare at their 500th anniversary, right? So. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, so can you tell us a little bit about you? It sounds like you're a doctor and you do a lot of interesting stuff and you think a lot of interesting thoughts, my dear Watson. Kate, how did, who are you and how did you end up here? So, um, so it's, you know, it's great. The, um, I think that anyone that's lived long enough, um, it's easier to describe their trajectory looking backwards because you can make it all make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, but like if I, ex I try to explain my next move to my parents, they're just sort of shaking their head going, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, my parents can relate. Yeah, so I, so I grew up in Missouri. I grew up in a little town outside of Kansas City and went to medical school um, actually in Kansas City. Um, and I went to a... Um, a combined undergraduate medical school. So I graduated, I graduated from medical school when I was 20, just had just turned 24, like a, like a week after my 24th wow. birthday, I graduated, right? But it's weird, you know, the flip side of that is I actually sat down with my first patient when I was 18, uh, which is... Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine. No. Like, <laughs> birth. I tell you, right, it's like, yeah, you know, the phrase too much information didn't exist back then, but man, I was hit pretty quickly with way too much information. Yeah. It's like, I don't need to know anything you just told me. Um, but the, um, but, um, and then did, um, I did um, my emergency medicine training in Florida, actually. And then, and then right after that, so this is 19, gosh, 94, um, I went up to Michigan um, and, um, and became a research fellow there um, and then did primarily emergency medicine and, and did that for, you know, gosh, a long time. I did that until 2015. Um, and had a clinical practice, um, had a lab that was, I think, pretty successfully funded. I, I, I certainly can't complain. Um, and, you know, had, so I had a long time relationship with the NIH, a little bit less with the NSF. Got to review a lot of grants, got to write a bunch of grants, got to do, I think, some reasonably fun science and had some great collaborations. But then in 2014, um, we had an idea in my lab for a, a technology that might we that might have been commercializable, um, and and it got a serious look from us because I was on the search committee for a new chair of my department, and that had not been going all that well. And and the dean actually called me and said, you know, do you want to go get lunch and talk about the chairmanship? And I was like, I absolutely do not want to do that. Um, <laughs> and um, which is which was a big break for me because it was sort of the arc I'd been on. That was my trajectory, right? Yeah. Was chair, going to be an associate dean or whatever. That was just going to be the thing, right? But I didn't really want to do it. And um, and so we took a look at this technology. And rather than becoming a chair, um, within a year, I had resigned um, and had given up my practice and had joined the company full time. It was, um, it was interesting. We had received um, um, a syndicate for an angel investment um, for a decent amount of money at the time. Um, this is in 2015. Um, but, the, but the investment was contingent on me quitting. Um, so they were not going to, they were not going to invest if I did not think it was good enough idea to join the company. Um, and, uh, and so I took my wife out to dinner. She said, sure. Wrote this little IOU down, <laughs> stuck it in her purse. And then, and so I was with the company, right? And so I was with, I was with Acadian Life Sciences, which is, which just, they just closed their series B over the summer. Um, so Acadium is still in Ann Arbor. Um, they make, um, they make, um, uh, chemistry for isolating cells out of complex clinical mixtures. Um, among other things. And um, um, and we, I stayed with the company through raising its Series A, but right as we raised the Series A, my wife took me out to dinner, reached into her purse, pulled out this IOU and said, we're going to Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, uh, yes, yeah, so my wife is a cardiologist. She got recruited to Penn. Um, and so in 2019, we, we pulled up stakes. We've been in Ann Arbor. I've been in Ann Arbor for, um, you know, 20 years. Um, and we pulled up stakes and, uh, and headed to Philadelphia. We, it was a great transition. We were super excited to make the move. Um, and, um, and, um, that for about a year after I moved um, to Philly, I was working at a place called the University City Science Center, which is a complicated um, organization in West Philly that does, among other things, um, biotech incubation and early stage investments. And so I sort of manage their early stage investments um, and help lead the incubator program. Uh, that's when I met Katie. Um, but then um, the pandemic came, um, the, um, the school, my kids at the time were 13 and 14. School became crazy. Um, anyone watching this knows what it was like in the first spring. Um, and so by the end of the summer, you know, my kids had only had six months of normal school after moving from another town their entire lives. So at the, at the, at the end of um, the first summer, um, we'd sort of make an executive decision and I stepped back. Um, and um, and I left my job at the Science Center kind of going into limbo to make sure that my kids had a good autumn in their second school year in Philadelphia. Um, but it's been great. I, I, I actually joined um, um, I joined an investment group in New York and helped um, do early stage, sort of like angel seed stage investments in, in life science companies primarily um, um, out, of a, out of a group in New York. Um, but other than that, you know, if you ask my parents, I'm I'm looking for a job. <laughs> I'm unemployed. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thirty years after I leave home, my dad's like, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna end up unemployed right when you. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, if you ask my parents, they'll tell you I'm chronically looking for a job. <laughs> I'm not anymore. Not right now, but yeah. Um, Give but it time. It's a good habit to have. Oh, to become unemployed? I, you know, I I have been. Um, it, it has been great. Right. Um, it is it is unstructured and it's not it's not fully pleasant. Right. But I think that there's something good comes out of that discomfort and um, and it makes you really clarify your thinking. Um, and and it 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 you know, it it brings, I think, a hopefulness, um, you know, sort of unexpectedly. Right. It's like this is going to be good. And um, and, you know, there's going to be you know, you're going to have a lot of flexibility and clarity around your next move, you know, and, and, and I think I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, it is, it is unstructured and there's days where you're just like, oh man, this is crazy. But, um, uh, but all things considered, um, I count myself extremely fortunate and, uh, and my kids have had a great school year. Um, things have gone well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, Katie, I'm hearing that there's plenty more time for more articles to be written. That's what <laughs> I'm hearing too. <laughs> I got, I've got two written. I've got two right now that I've that I've got on my desk, but I'm I'm I haven't decided exactly what I'm going to do with them because one of them one of them is one I want to write, but it's a little complicated. Um, it just it it you know there's it, there's lots of lawyers involved, <laughs> so I may or may not go there next. We'll see. I may go with something a little bit more vanilla, but uh, but yeah. Well, we, I'm, I'm glad that we could be uh, in uh, you know a small outlet for your academic habits. Um, we're not going to charge an arm and a leg for publishing. Yeah, no, it's great, um, actually. And it's it's really good. I mean, it's, um, you know, one of the, you know, the real criteria I use for writing stuff on bioeconomy is like, you know, what do I not, what data set have I never seen before? What code have I never written before? Um, because a lot of my, a lot of my stuff is really, it's really just sort of like, you know, muscle memory for, for coding, right? Um, and, um, and, and becoming more familiar with, with data sets and looking for, looking at things I hadn't looked at before. So um, I'm, I'm always interested in data. I'll collaborate with anybody if they can bring me a good data set, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, how is so how has been the transition to Philly? Because I mean, being 20 years in in one spot. 
You know, it's been great. Um, you know, so the, I so I spent really pr pretty much all my life in the Midwest, right? And um, and the Midwest is different than the East Coast. Um, if you haven't been told that before, it is it is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is true. I, the, the transition with, to Philly was great, right? And so I think that um, you know, every every city on the East Coast has its own personality. Pen, uh, Philly certainly has a personality. Um, I um, because I'm not a lifer in Philly, I, I don't necessarily understand some of the some of the things that you know people think about their city versus other cities, or whatever. But I, but but people in Philly do think about their sort of you know their role, you know, sort of in the, on the East Coast. Um, I am just a huge fan of the trains. I'm I'm in New York every chance I can get. Um, yeah. um, it's easy. It's an hour. Um, and you can be there and there's, there's plenty to do. There's plenty to do in Philly, but I, we've been very happy. We, um, the kids love it. Uh, we, we've loved being in a bigger city and, um, and it just, it just, it was time, right? We were, we were more than happy to get out. So. So as you're hanging out in Philly and you've had a successful career up to this point, like oftentimes a lot of our listeners think about, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And they're earlier in their career. Yeah. But you need to think about that, um, from, uh, you've had a successful career and you get to do something next. Like how are, what are you thinking about? How are you, how are you thinking about that? Yeah. So it's, it's really, um, it's really hard. So every, everyone that's, that's younger, that's listening to this, let me just tell you that the stuff that you wrestle with is not, you never win that match. You're going to wrestle yeah. with it forever. Right. So you either, you either wrestle with it or you ignore it. Um, and, um, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that you're just, you're just hoping that it's not there. Um, but, um, but they're, they're hard questions. You know, when I was thinking about quitting my practice, I spent a year, um, on that decision. Right. And, um, I mean, really an honesty, goodness year. And I was, up, I mean, I saw the, I saw three o'clock in the morning, so many nights. Um, and, um, and it just, you know, you're just like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I need an MRI in my head because I'm thinking about quitting medicine, right? There's something horribly wrong here. Right. Um, and it just, it just takes a while to sort of get through it. But I, I think that the, um, you know, it, it, it's easier. You know, one of the things I've told people is that, you know, it's like, you know, it's hard to play much of a violin, you know, as someone who had a 20 year medical practice, say, oh my God, the struggle, you don't even know, <laughs> right? This is BS, right? That's just not true. Um, but I think that, the, but, you know, I think that the, you know, what a lot of the way we framed um, both my move and my wife's move when we moved to Philadelphia was, you know, when we sit around the table with our kids, what's, what's the take home? Right. What do we want our kids to know and what's the thing that we want them to understand? Like, what are the things that we're valuing here? Right. Um, and, you know, and we want to you know, we want to value, um, you know, that we've that we've that we managed to establish some level of security. Right. So we're you know, we're we're, we're financially OK, um, but that that's not a reason to, you know, to not push. And that's not a reason to not take chances and to do things that are scary. Um, and that, you know, you get one time around and we want our kids to know that taking risk is part of it and, and that they're supposed to go out and make a difference. And, and so I think that, you know, when you frame any career move you're making with, you know, how do I want my how do I want my teenager to think about how they're building their career? Um, it, it actually it actually makes it a little bit easier because, you know, what we want our, our we want our kids to go out there and change the world. Right. And um, and you can't do that without, you know, sort of, you know, being kind of a template for them. It's like, you know, here's how you walk off the edge and hope for the best and, you know, sort of, you know, guard yourself that something terrible doesn't happen, but acknowledge that failure is certainly out there. Right. Um, those are those are good things to talk about. And, and we talk a lot at dinner 
about, um, especially during the time of those two transitions, we talked a ton at dinner about how to think about our career, what we're supposed to do and, and you know, whether or not we should be comfortable or we should be, you know, unsettled, right? And, and how do you balance those two things because there's value in both, right? So. Yeah, I've always wanted to be the, the bridge jumping friend your parents warned you about, but you're the parent that says, I dare you to jump off the bridge. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's hard, right? But I think that the thing is, is yeah. that you, you know, we've, you know, we've had opportunities that we've been blessed with and, you know, and it's like, you got to go do something with them. You want to be, you know, you got to be able to hold your head up and say, man, I took the hardest swing that I could. Right. Um, and, you know, not every day, some days you just, you know, <laughs> some days you're just going to sort of bunt, but the, um, but in general, you know, it's, that's, that's how we want our, what's what we expect of our kids, right? Go out there and take your shot. This is an old guy talking. This is, I'm like your old interview. <laughs> but that's the best part. It never, it doesn't change. That's what we're trying to get across. Mm -mm. It oh. doesn't change, right? It, it, it shouldn't, it doesn't have to change, right? So, um, um, you know, and I think it, it, you know, I think if you come back and talk to me in 10 years, I may think really differently about it. But, um, but I think, you know, at this moment, um, you know, it's okay. It's okay to, you know, take risks and, and mess up, you know, in pursuit of something great happening. Right. Absolutely. I think that transitions well into our last question, which is um, what advice do you have for us um, and for our listeners? So that's, that's great. So, so I think I was thinking about this a little bit over the weekend and um, I'm going to one, make a, a book recommendation, uh, which I don't often do. Um, but, but there's a book that I think gets, sort of reveals why I think about that question. So there's a book by um, um, Stanley McChrystal, um, who is, um, who's a retired general. He's actually a fired general, <laughs> right? So he was, um, he, um, he actually had a, a big part in, in sort of courting the raid with Osama bin Laden, but then him and, um, and the presidency sort of clashed later on. But he wrote a really beautiful book about three years ago, four years ago on leadership. And the book is about, it's really just a portrait of about 15 or 16 people who he thought were really remarkable leaders. But the thing that sets them all apart is that all of them were remarkable leaders for a very specific moment that they found themselves in, right? And so it's not just, you know, Black Turtlenecks and Steve Jobs, right? It's like, you know, he, he talks about Walt Disney and how Walt Disney changed the world. But that once Walt Disney wasn't managing a team of seven people, he was horrible at <laughs> right. And he got, you know, he basically wasn't able to run Walt Disney Studios uh, because, you know, within weeks of starting, there was already an animator strike. Right. And um, and so so the McChrystal book on leadership talks about a bunch of different people and why they're remarkable, but remarkable in that they sort of found where it fit. Right. It's like your leadership style in this moment, in this setting is the thing that's going to be most powerful. And, and so I was thinking about that and thinking about um, about cognitive um, style and sort of thinking style. And, and this comes up a lot in, um, in physicians. So, you know, there's lots of medical specialties. And one thing that all medical specialists love to do is they love to cast furious dispersions on all the other medical specialties because they don't know what they're doing. Right. But it turns out that if you sort of look around and think about it long enough, you know, that every medical specialty is full of people who do their best work in that style. Right. And so um, and so, you know, for, you know, people that, you know, are studying very complicated long term diseases, you know, they say, I'm going to think about this for a month and I'll see you back in clinic. Um, that's a perfectly good style for that setting. And, you know, I, you know, would say I'm going to see you back in about 90 seconds and we'll make a decision. Um, and that's a perfectly good 
style for, for me in the emergency department. And so I think that what I would tell the people that they're listening is to understand that um, you don't need to necessarily move your leadership thinking or your just the way that you approach problems. You don't need to move that miles away to try to, to try to fit some other mold, right? Is it what you need to understand is where are, where is your style? Where is it good? Um, and, and get there and start working in that space where you can succeed in a way that, you know, that best fits the way that you think about problems. And then once you're there and you can get some points on the board, you can start to sort of build out a little bit and say, well, what else, you know, what else can I be doing? How else, you know, can I be working on problems that would, you know, advance what I know how to do and how I do it in a way that builds on success, right? But I think that a lot of people think that there's one way to think about hard problems. There's one way to lead teams of people. And that's, that's just not true, right? It's just, that doesn't hold up. And so I, the, my advice would be is to get to know who you are and sort of in what arenas um, and in what time scales you, you succeed. Um, spend some time there and then start to build out. But, but don't feel that you're not cut out for anything because you're just, you're not cut out for some stuff, but you are definitely cut out for something and you'll find it. But it just, it may take a lot of time, right? It may, I'm, I'm sort of on 30 years. <laughs> But that's why I think that like trying different things helps you figure that out, right? Well, a lot of people feel like I can't quit something because I'm a quitter. And it's like, well, no, actually, you just recognize that this might not be the spot that you're talking about. And you try the next thing. Yeah, so but you're, more, but you're really right, though. But, but not wanting to quit is a real problem, right? So um, and, and there's, you know, there's been more writing lately about saying, you know, that people aren't people don't quit soon enough. Right. Is that you should, you know, you say, you know, you should just, you know, take a look around, figure it out. And if it's not working, just move on. Right. And there's, there's something that doesn't quite fit with that. Right. It's, it's a hard one. Right. So it may be true, but it, it, but it feels, it feels kind of uncomfortable. And it's certainly, you know, it's not going to be a very good, you know, thing to bring up in your job interview. Say, well, this isn't working. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> It doesn't really work. So it's like, so I think that that it's a really interesting thought, and I think that there is a time to, to cut your losses and just say this is not the thing. Uh, but boy, it is it is not easy, right? Um, and knowing you know knowing when to do that, how how to do it is is very hard. I've left you know I've left two jobs, I left two careers, you know, with my startup and then with the University of Michigan, I've left twice, um, and I'm very thoughtful about you know, am, am I the guy that leaves? Um, <laughs> right. Um, what are you going to do? I mean, it's, it's in, 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 yeah, you have to, you have to, I, I'm very thoughtful about that. Right. Um, I don't know if I've got a great answer for it, but. Well, there's always someone crazier than you though. So I've left a lot more than two jobs and, yeah. and then I'm like, well, am I the guy that leaves? So you're, I can tell you for sure, John, you are not the guy that leaves. So I think the best you can hope for is that I've left two jobs and I've had two going away parties. Actually, Michigan had, had two going away parties for me a year separate. So um, I got to go away twice. <laughs> So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's really hard, right? Um, yeah. So when you, as you're finding yourself and you're leaving stuff behind, um, I think you have to figure out, you know, you gotta be really thoughtful about how you do that in a way that's respectful and, and doesn't set stuff on fire. Cause that, that, that's easy enough to do as I'm sure many people listening to this understand. I think it's interesting that culturally startups are really good at dropping things when they're not working the whole iterative, like lean methodology, but people don't startup people even don't apply that to their own life. Right. So there's the, this makes sense here, but I, the cognitive disconnect of, Oh, it also actually makes a lot of sense in the rest of my life. Like, you know, I saw it a lot in publishing where science, you want to get some paper published, but you know, 12 peer reviewers didn't like it. Okay, cool. Just move on. It's right. not the end of the world. 
versus you know what's wrong with my science? How do I how do I solve this problem? Right. Yeah. It's 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 really hard. Right. Knowing when to when to stop is um, is really hard because you're always going to feel like you know it's the, but it's a sunk cost problem, right? It's like you convince right. yourself that you know that you know infinite boiling will soften the stone, you know. But some stuff you can boil a long time. Right. You don't you, you, at best you have about 50 years of boiling on you. Right. You don't have infinite boiling. So uh, so it's like, you know, can I get this? Can I get this thing boiled before I'm dead? Is really the question. Right. So. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely. <laughs> well, Don, it's been great. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, I think your perspective is awesome. And we really appreciate everything. The interesting articles you're writing for bioeconomy. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of other ways. We'll figure out how to suck you into our orbit. Sounds like you've got enough free time that Katie can bother you. That's great. Yeah, I just sit around all day. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, it's a pleasure. And again, great job with the with bioeconomy. I mean, it's 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 doing great. It's it's really exciting, right? I'm 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 honored to be able to contribute anything to that. So um um yeah, and you know, and certainly um you know, people can reach out. Um, you know, my email jayunger at argopond.com. People are more than welcome to reach out and talk to me about you know whatever. I I, I love talking to people. So yeah, cool. And we'll have some more. Um, links and everything to, to your information and the things you're working on and writing in the description and all that. So people can find you. We'll make it easy. All right. Well, well listen, you guys have a great day and, um, and stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. <laughs>